Hi, Amy here. I wanted to add a little bit more information or thoughts onto the article I posted today on my website, blog, um, about the second study in the article. It was a study, Brain Microbial Populations in HIV AIDS, Alpha Proteobacteria Predominate Independent of Host Immune Status. And it was done by researchers in Canada. And this was the study that looked at the microbial populations of uh, several brains removed from patients after autopsy, um, in almost all cases. Um, and so one of the reasons that I decided to record this little extra segment is because after writing my initial post, I was on a bus and I was listening to the podcast This Week in Microbiology, which is a great podcast. I recommend it to anyone. And uh, that podcast um, is primarily run by Vincent Racanello, who's from Columbia University, and also contributing to this particular uh, podcast discussing this study was Elio Schachter, who is a retired uh, scientist. I think he was at Tufts. And Michael Schmidt, who is at the Medical University of South Carolina. So it was really cool because after reading the study, I, of course, had many thoughts on it, and I was able to contrast and compare some of my thoughts with some of the thoughts that they have on the study in the podcast. And it did, however, um, bring up a couple points that I want to mention here. So um, to recap the study, the research team looked at the brains removed, again, after autopsy from patients with HIV, and they compared these brains to what they called control brains, which were brains that were taken from patients who died from other serious diseases that also have a serious neurological component to them. These were brains taken from patients with, for example, multiple sclerosis, a bad case of sepsis, acute meningitis, and even, in one case, rabies, which uh, Elio Schechter on the This Week in Microbiology podcast, he agrees with me. It's pretty cool. Um, not a lot of people die from rabies these days, and so it was very interesting that the research team was able to get a rabies brain and study it in this way. So the team takes these brains, does deep sequencing um, on the brains, and actually listen to the This Week in Microbiology podcast to learn more about how they do the deep sequencing. They do a great job describing it. But what they find is that there are hundreds of microbes in the brains of all these individuals. And in all cases, um, in all the HIV brains and in the brains of patients with these other serious diseases, the brains are dominated by a class of bacteria called alpha proteobacteria. And so, um, very interesting finding, and there's certainly enough microbes identified in the brains, and there's viruses identified as well, and also bacteriophages, which are viruses that infect bacteria, to be able to say that at least these diseased brains appear to harbor a microbiome. They have communities of microbes in the brains, and um, they're all, they're, there are hundreds of them together. So it's, it's a basically a microbiome. Um, and one of the questions, obviously, raised by the study is, why alpha proteobacteria? Because alpha proteobacteria are not usually found to dominate other areas of the body that have been studied so far. There's usually a lot of firmicutes or other types of microbes. So, so in this case, we see this difference. And my initial interpretation after reading that there were a lot of alpha proteobacteria was to think, hey, I wonder if alpha proteobacteria are a class of bacteria that take over the brain when a patient becomes 
very immunocompromised and, and very ill and under a lot of stress. And that's because the patients in this study, um, the brains taken from the patients in this study were taken from people who died because of the medical conditions that were making them sick. So the fact that alpha proteobacteria were there suggested to me that perhaps alpha proteobacteria are particularly good at taking over um, the brain when people are sick. And um, that might be the case, that might not be, um, but in any case, um, I was interested that the This Week in Microbiology podcast people didn't totally seem to have the same interpretation. They were actually looking for ways in which the alpha proteobacteria might be helpful. And actually, I agree with this to a certain point. I, I, there are so many microbes in these brains that certainly some of them could be helpful, some of them can be harmful. Um, but in this case, there was a tendency for them to, to suggest that perhaps um, some of these species were helping with brain development, maybe in some cases. Actually, in the study itself, the research team suggests that alpha proteobacteria may contribute to detoxifying processes. So, so perhaps they're trying to say that maybe the alpha proteobacteria could be largely helpful in these patients. And there's a second um, consideration brought up in the This Week in Microbiology podcast, which is that the alpha proteobacteria and other microbes in the brains, um, in their, in the opinion of the uh, podcast people, are not actually causing any symptoms in the patients who harbor these microbes. And I disagree with that. I think that it's possible that the populations of microbes found in these diseased brains were contributing to symptoms in the individuals who were ill, along with the primary pathogen that was the main reason for which these patients, uh, that caused these patients to die. So for example, in the rabies brain, and this person has rabies, um, obviously that's an extremely serious infection, causes the immune system to become incredibly immunocompromised, puts the body under a huge amount of stress. Um, but that doesn't mean that under those conditions, other bacteria, viruses, or other microbes could get into the brain or be in the brain um, that could take advantage of that situation. Um, you know, it's very possible that they might also, uh, there might also be other pathogens that, that can actually flourish under those conditions and additionally contribute to symptoms in the same person along with the rabies virus. So uh, again, it goes back to a concept I've, ter I've termed successive infection along with members of a research team I worked with at Autoimmunity Research Foundation. Um, you can read about successive infection in the basic concepts section of this website. It's a really simple concept. I talk about it all the time, probably maybe too much, but I don't think so because it's very basic and I think it's essential that we consider it as we move forward and look at how disease might progress, um, disease related to the microbiome, obviously in particular. Um, basically, it, it's simple enough that what we're saying is that multiple pathogens might be able to cause disease at the same time in the same person. So you can have a bacterial species causing disease in a person, a viral species also um, infecting the same person at the same time, and any number of other pathogens in the person, and the disease and symptoms that the person eventually develops is uh, a result of the sum of what these different pathogens are doing to the body together. 
So in this case, I think that it's very possible that the alpha proteobacteria and other bacteria um, and viruses and bacteriophages found inside these diseased brains could have been contributing to symptoms that at the very least caused these ill patients to suffer more and uh, perhaps even contributed to their deaths along with the primary pathogens that made them very ill. So that's one point I wanted to make. And then in order to back up that possibility, I wanted to point out that many of the uh, microbes identified in this study were found to persist inside the cells of the immune system. So macrophages, astrocytes, cells of the immune system that are actually supposed to be killing pathogens, but under these conditions actually become parasitized by the very microbes that they are supposed to kill. So that's a very detrimental situation and a situation that can lead to disease. So if you have an intracellular pathogen, the pathogen is inside a human cell, and at that point, it can interrupt the ability of the human cell to correctly transcribe its own uh, DNA, its own, um, it, can, it can interrupt the ability of the cell to be able to, to correctly express its own genome and control genes in the way that it should be doing. And you can read more about how intracellular pathogens can cause dysfunction, uh, again, in articles in the basic concepts section on this blog. But since, yes, since the study found um, pathogens inside the cells, it suggested to me that several of them could be causing disease in this way. Um, the This Week in Microbiology podcast, people bring up the fact that they're used to the idea that if microbes are going to cause problems in the brain or elsewhere in the body, they create something like a sore or an abscess or something that clearly indicates an infection. But I don't think this has to be the case. I think that um, pathogens can cause disease in the absence of those very obvious signs of infection. And another little clue that suggested to me that some of the um, microbes that were identified in these diseased brains could also be contributing to disease was the fact that the research team looked at genes involved in the immune response um, of the patients in, of the subjects in the study and found that in the diseased brains they were activated. So this suggests to me that, that um, there was an activated immune response in these brains uh, shortly before these people passed away. And anytime I see an activated immune response, it indicates that you know, the immune system might have been trying to <clears throat> target or go after something in the brain at that point. So again, there may have been some pathogens there that the brain was attempting to target. <clears throat> Excuse me. So again, um, what would really help clarify a lot of these issues would be to look at a healthy human brain and do the same kind of deep sequencing on that brain or several healthy human brains that um, this group did on disease brains. And I was actually really hoping more and more as I read through the study that I would somehow found that they had done that, which they didn't, um, um, in the sense that they could, you know, a future research teams or the same research team could probably acquire a brain from a healthy seeming person who unfortunately experiences an accident or something that, um, where they pass away for reasons that aren't from severe disease. We could then look at the more healthy brain and see what kind of microbial populations might persist in that brain. And then we could compare those populations to what we seem to see in, in the disease brains in this study. And lastly, I just want to bring up one time that there were two um, samples in this study that were taken from patients with epilepsy. 
And what made those samples different than the other samples was that they were removed from patients while they were alive. They're called surgical samples. You can see the samples in the last figure I put up in the article um, towards the right of one of the figures. And these, because they were taken from patients while they were alive, it's interesting because the patients weren't you know, necessarily maybe as immunocompromised and close to death as the other brains in the study. So under those conditions, it's interesting that there are just two of these uh, samples, but there's a little bit more diversity in the microbes found in these samples than there are in the very diseased brains. And again, that reinforced the possibility to me that if we were to look at more healthy brains, we might see some more diversity in possible brain microbiome populations in, the, in such people. Um, and this is especially true because as other research teams looks at, look at microbiomes in other areas of the body, we tend to find that diversity decreases as disease increases. So there tend to be less microbes or less, less species of microbes in people who become ill because compared to healthy counterparts. And so it would definitely be interesting to look at healthy brains, the brains of people in middle stages of disease, and finally the brains of people autopsied um, after very severe disease. And with that data at hand, we could really get a better idea of what's going on with brain microbial populations. And I hope that some of these studies happen sooner than later because it would be very exciting to see those results. One more thing I'd like to add. Uh, to be fair, towards the end of the This Week in Microbiology podcast, Michael Schmidt does bring up some of the things that I've mentioned. He does say that he would like to see how microbial populations in the brain change over time. And he also mentions that some species of alpha proteobacteria are known pathogens, for example, rickettsia. And furthermore, he considers the fact that uh, microbial populations in the brain may change over time in the sense that perhaps bacteria may begin to more easily leak into the brain as people age, which is definitely a consideration. He does also say that what he considers to be the real experiment is how the populations of brains of Alzheimer's patients might play out in terms of microbial populations. And this is something that I will actually be discussing in my next post. So I look forward to your comments on that as well.